I got an email this week. It was a link to an article. The article title captured a lot of what pastors think about, what is the pastoral banter, if you will, as you approach and follow up on Easter, which was, and the title of this article was, How Not to Waste Your Easter Spike. Now, you, you think about it, and I, I don't mean this in any kind of a marketing sense or whatever, but churches, like pretty much everybody else, we want to take advantage of our opportunities when the time come, comes, and Easter certainly gives us an opportunity to speak to some people that we generally don't get to speak to, and so we try to take advantage of that. It's a spike. We don't want to waste that opportunity. But here's a thought that struck me this week. For many of us, Easter is the time that we seek to have a spiritual spike in our lives, right? Some of you probably spent more time reading the Bible last week, you know, the week before Easter, than you generally do. Some of you probably spent more time in prayer than you generally did. I know I don't generally come over to the building at 2 o'clock in the morning to pray like I did on the evening or actually the morning of Good Friday. Some of you, I mean, some, some folks, they, they showed up to a church service for the first time in months, maybe years. And kind of thinking, eh, well, you know, it's kind of weird to do Easter without some thought about Jesus, at least, you know? Or maybe at a minimum, we at least just got a little bit more dressed up than we normally do when, when we went to Easter, Easter services. But, but for many folks, we, Easter sometimes comes and goes, and, and we're like, we're asking, where's the oomph? You know, where, where's the... Where's the push from our lives. And we're asking the question, like, how, how, do I, how do I get this spiritual bump? How do I capitalize on the spiritual momentum that can be created from remembering the most significant events that God's ever done in human history to make it possible for me to have a relationship with Him? And really, when we ask those kinds of questions... And we realize, as Paul teaches us in the book of Philippians, that it's God who's at work in us. And God's activity is to will, to work in us, to change us according to his good pleasure. That there is a sense of transformation that comes as a result of trying to engage God. That if you and I really want to kind of capitalize on the spiritual momentum that Easter can create for us. What we have to really be do, do is be open to change. We have to be open to change. We, we, we cannot expect God to speak into our lives, to do something new in our lives, and somehow or another that we don't change at all. Because God is at work in us to will, not according to our good pleasure, but according to His good pleasure. And that's going to create change. What we're really talking about is God creating some spiritual breakthroughs in our lives. Because God's design, His plan, is to transform us into the image of His Son. And that always requires spiritual breakthroughs as we're going through the journey. Now, back before we got distracted by 40 days of love and the Easter season, we were in the midst of a study of the book of Acts. And it was entitled, Faith the Way It Should Be. We're trying to go back to the experience of the earliest believers and see some of the powerful truths that God used to change their lives, to change the world through them, and with that to discover some of the things about the way faith should be for our own lives. Because believe it or not, over 20 centuries, we've added a lot of baggage 
(laughs) to how it is to do faith. This morning's text for us from Acts chapter 10 is all about change. It's all about spiritual breakthroughs. And, And I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10 with me today. So what I want to do in the time that we have together this morning is I want to walk through the text, the entire chapter. I want to make sure that we give the text its full due. We understand what it is that God is trying to communicate to the church and through the church to us. But from there, we can also look back into this text and see some principles that can guide us about how it is that we experience spiritual breakthroughs in our journey with God, how we can capitalize, if you will, on the spiritual momentum that recognizing God's great activity can create in our lives. Now, this is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And it's not just because food plays a part in it, all right? I want you to know there's there's other reasons in here besides that. Now, it starts out in a city of Caesarea. I think we have a couple of photos of Caesarea. Do they make their way in? See, you never should send your pastor to the Holy Land. There you go. This is, this is a picture of the amphitheater in um, Caesarea. Caesarea was a city built on the Mediterranean coast by Herod the Great. Time, by the end of the life of Jesus, the city was probably no more than 50 years old and maybe younger than that. Every city, in order to be a Roman city, like a, like a, a city in a colony, had to have an amphitheater, it had to have a hippodrome. I think we have a picture of a hippodrome. This is, you, you see all the flat part on, along the coast? That's where they would have raced the chariots around. And all the stands are on to the right side. And, and they also had to have a, a set of baths. That was an important thing to a Roman citizen. They had to have the baths that they could go to and with the hot water and all that kind of stuff. And that was a, a daily ritual that they did. Here's a guy, beginning in verse 1. By the name of Cornelius, he's a centurion. It's like a captain in the Roman army, I mean, in the Italian army. And he was a devout man. If, oh, first of all, if you're following along in your pew Bibles, we're on page 934 and 35 today. We're in Acts chapter 10. And I'm picking up with the first verse and going to kind of walk us through the scripture, reading sections of it and explaining or, or kind of just elaborating on other pieces as we go along. So there was a man in Caesarea, this new city. On the coast, this was actually, this picture here is a picture of the pool that was in the middle of the house that the governor of the province lived in. It's probably the first indoor pool, you know, in the world. And, um, and Christina refers to it as the infinity pool because it goes right off into the ocean. But there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. He's a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man, and he feared God with his whole household. And as a result of that, he did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people, and he also prayed to God. And about three in the afternoon, some of your texts say like the ninth hour of the day, which is three in the afternoon, according to the way they accounted for time, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said, Cornelius. And looking intently at him, he became afraid. He said, what is it, Lord? He says, your prayers... And your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when, now Joppa was about 20 miles down the coast to the south. 
right on the coast. Quite a contrast. Caesarea, brand new city. Joppa had been around since before the days of David. It was probably more than a thousand years old. And this is where Peter's hanging out with a guy by the name of Joppa. So, um, so he sends the men after him. And we pick up in verse 9. So the next day, as they're traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop at about noon. Most houses were built with a flat roof. A lot of times they would hang out some kind of a, of a, um, of a sheet to create shade. And they would go up there and enjoy the breeze and etc. And so he's up there about noontime. And then he became hungry. And he wanted to eat. But, that, but while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. And he saw heaven opened and an object coming down that resembled a large sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. And in it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And, and Peter said, no, 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 Lord, for I have never eaten anything common and unclean. And again, a second time a voice said, what God has made clean, you must not call common. And this happened three times. I love Peter because it takes three times to convince him of anything. This happened three times. And then the object was taken up into heaven. And while Peter's deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, the men who were sent by Cornelius show up at the gate. And they asked... And they stood at the gate and they called out asking if Simon, who was also called Peter, was lodging there. So we, we pick up the story then. And the Peter goes down in verse 21 and he says, well, here am I, why are you looking for me? And they say, well, our boss sent us to look for you. Cornelius, he's a God-fearing man, etc. So we pick up in verse 30, 23. The next day he got up and he set out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. And the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and, and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and he worshipped him. And Peter said, get up, get up, stand up. I myself am also a man like you. And while talking with him, he went on, he went on in and found that many had come together. In verse 28, Peter says, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's a breakthrough. God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That, that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, why did you send for me? And Cornelius replied, well, four days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. And just then a man of dazzling Robes stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and the acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. And th therefore, I immediately sent for you and you did the right thing in coming. So we are all present before God to hear everything you have commanded us. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak in truth. I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. You, you know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. And we ourselves, we're witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up, this man, on the third day and permitted him to be seen, not by all the people, just by us. Witnesses appointed beforehand by God who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that though that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded, astounded, sorry, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And I'm going to stop there in our text just for the sake of time this morning. The book of Acts, if you want to go back and start kind of looking at it again from chapter 1 coming forward, is all about breakthroughs. There's the breakthrough of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. And the birth of the church. There's the breakthrough of the, of the growth of the church in the community. There's the breakthrough of, of, of the expansion of the leadership as they appoint new leaders to come on board. And the church begins to prepare itself for continual growth. So breakthrough is the gospel is, moves out to the Samaritans who are kind of Jewish but really not Jewish. And yet we see the gospel has greater opportunities than just the Jewish community. Then we see it being proclaimed to an Ethiopian eunuch. Somebody who wanted to be a Jew but because of his physical condition couldn't be a Jew. And yet he still was in love with God and we see him coming into the fold. Then the persecution arrives. And God has a tremendous breakthrough as he takes the persecutor and he makes him the proclaimer. And we learned that story in, in Acts chapter 9 with that of the Apostle Paul. And now we come to the last major breakthrough. The Jews, even though they could hear the echoes of the promise to Abraham that I'm going to bless all the nations through you, they were convinced that the only people that God was prepared to bless were Jews. So that the nations need to become Jewish before they could actually be acceptable to God. And this text tells us what? God is declaring to Peter, who's certainly one of the major voices of the church, that just ain't true. The gospel, as it's been lived out and proclaimed and made available to the person of Jesus Christ, can meet a person wherever they're at. And bring them right into relationship with me. They can go from being common to being holy. Just by the proclamation of the message. And God affirms it by having the Holy Spirit depend upon, descend upon Cornelius and his household as Peter is even listening to this message. And so what, what this text is really all about is that Peter was being taught on behalf of all of the church that no one was unredeemable in the sight of God. And the gospel now is being opened up to the entire population of the planet. Peter didn't know what all this meant. The church is going to spend decades figuring this all out. Literally decades figuring it all out. How is it that we live together as Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians? But 
In the midst of this experience of God breaking through and setting up the context for the spread of the gospel, which is really the rest of the story all the way up to chapter 28 of the book of Acts, we can look at it and find some truths for us about how God generates breakthroughs in our own spiritual journeys. Now, the premise we have is that we, we cannot engage God and just stay the way we are. If we want to have a connection with God, if we want to have a relationship with God, if we want God to be a vital part of our lives, then God's going to work within us and he's going to change us. That's just who God is. And with that, he's going to create spiritual breakthroughs. Now, how do you define a spiritual breakthrough? Well, I found a hint for myself in, chapter, in verse 20 of this chapter. So, Peter's up on the roof. He's thinking about these vision, this vision. These three men show up who are looking for him. And God says to him, three men are here looking for you. He says, get up, go downstairs, and accompany them with no doubts at all. When you and I get to a place in our spiritual journey where we can recognize divine truth and follow it with no objection, no hesitation at all, we're in a place of spiritual breakthrough. Sometimes we encounter divine truth and we're like, well, I need to think about that. I need to pray about that. That's really the good one. That's the spiritual answer, right? Well, I, I know it says this in black and white, but let me pray about it. You know, and I'm not trying to minimize, you know, there's sometimes we need to let God process. But, but when we, you and I encounter spiritual truth and we get to a place where we can follow it without hesitation, Without objection, not understanding all where it's going to take us, we're in a place of spiritual breakthrough. That's when God is beginning to generate the real transformation within us. Well, well, what does that flow out of? I mean, hopefully some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what? Boy, you know, I just got done remembering the triumphal entry, the foot washing experience of Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection, all the new life that is supposed to flow from that, that we're supposed to be able to live this brand new life that's really the beginning of eternity right now. And, and what does that all mean for me? Am I really living any? Am I experiencing any of that? And, and you're, you're really asking the question, it, it, are there really any spiritual breakthroughs taking place in my life based upon what I believe to be true about the life of Jesus Christ? And there's several places, I think, several things that God uses in our lives to create spiritual breakthroughs for us. And I think they're all evident in the life of Peter in this moment. I think he, this is the reason why he was chosen by God. Let me give you just these three, and you can process these through. The first ingredient of this fertile soil that allow, can allow you and I to experience spiritual breakthroughs in our lives, it's just issue, the issue of faith. It's just the issue of faith. It is the, in, it is the essential ingredient. It, it just oozes all over this passage. Peter acknowledges that God is sovereign. And what God had declared in the, in the past, saying you shall, shall not eat these types of animals, he had, he'd accepted it completely. No arguments. He said, God, I've never disobeyed you. God says, I'm teaching you something new now. He recognized God as sovereign, as the teacher. He recognized in Jesus Christ that God was intervening in human history to do something he had never done before. 
to make possible the forgiveness of sins, that the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins should be made in his name. And God had done that in his son, Jesus Christ. Peter had personally experienced and witnessed again on this day the coming of the Holy Spirit into the lives of people. He, he believes in all of who God is. It was the whole thing. And with this, we have the sense that, that Peter has a, a spirit of faith. And, you know, without faith in our lives, there really isn't much God can do in terms of creating spiritual breakthroughs. See, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we see the element of faith. Secondly, we see the element, and I, I've called it hurt in this passage of Scripture. Hurt. You know, it, it, it's been said that the two things that really create change in our lives are hurt and fresh knowledge. Those two things together. Here is the, the issue of hurt. Uh, if you want to write down a reference, you can write down Mark chapter 14, verse 72. Many of you are familiar with the life of Peter. Peter was the bold disciple. He was the one who had the most courage, the most determination, the most energy. So when the time came and Jesus saying, well, you know, I'm going to be captured and crucified. Peter said, you know what? That ain't going to happen. And then when Jesus says, you know, everybody's going to scatter. You know, when they, when they grab me, you guys are going to run to the hills. And Jesus is trying to prepare them so they won't be too disappointed in themselves. What does Peter say? Absolutely. Even though they all run, I will never forsake you. And then what happens? Peter just melts like butter. You know, you know what I mean? He just melts like an ice cream cone faster than a, a warm you know, summer afternoon. He, he just falls apart. You know, he follows after, but not once, but twice, three times he denies him. And in that reference in Mark chapter 14 is when, when, the, when he denies him the third time and in the, in the, in the, the, the cock crows... It said, Peter remembered what Jesus said, and he says he just wept. Because Peter recognized that he just wasn't the guy that he thought he was. And he had this deep disappointment and hurt inside of his life. Because he had let himself down and many other people. And it's sometimes in those moments of deep hurt, when we really mess things up, about as bad as they can get, when we are become just as, as deeply disillusioned in who we are, that God can step in and bring some of the greatest change. Because it's in those moments that we're ready to cease living with our own wisdom and start living by God's wisdom. That's what happened to Peter. He stopped living by his own wisdom, he started living by God's wisdom. You know, I know stories after story after story of guys who have some of the darkest and saddest tales to tell about their journeys. But it was somehow in the midst of that darkness when they were the most broken, the most vulnerable, the most disappointed, when they realized just how dark of a person they were, that God had the greatest breakthroughs and turned their lives around. See, sometimes God brings great transformation to our lives through tremendous moments of hurt. Because in those tremendous moments of hurt, we're ready to abandon our own wisdom. 
and we're finally ready to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Not to lean onto our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him so that he can direct our paths. You know, the things I'd urge upon all of us today is we don't have to let those hurts get to such a place where they're so devastating that we can't learn from them. But there's one more element, and it's the most prominent feature in this text, and that's knowledge of the truth. It's knowledge of the truth. God orchestrates a spiritual theater for Peter. <laughs> Peter's up on the rooftop, not once, not twice, but three times God orchestrates this incredible spiritual theater where the, where the sheet is lowered down and just every animal in the world that would gross you out is on it. And God says, rise and eat. And he's teaching Peter a spiritual message. And it's that knowledge which reflected later in Peter's statement, which says, you know, God has finally shown me that no man is, un- is, is common, unredeemable in God's eyes. He's seen the spiritual truth. And in those moments, we switch from working with the world's wisdom to living with divine wisdom. You know, in, in, in our personal hurt, we go from, from living by our wisdom to living with God's wisdom in moments of spiritual breakthrough. When we encounter the truth and we recognize it and accept it and embrace it and build our lives around it, we move from living by the world's wisdom to living by God's wisdom. Again, I could give you story after story after story of persons who had said, you know what? I always knew that this was something I should read, but I just never read it. But at some moment in time in their life, whether it be because of a friend or something that happened, whatever, they just pulled the Bible out and they started to read. And now as they look back in the rearview mirror, their lives are totally different. Because knowing the truth. I mean, you could could meet me in the lobby today and say, you know what, Pastor? I'd be prepared to give a million dollars to pay off the church's debt if you would just be able to tell me that if I could just thrive by all by myself, Baptist Church. That's all I need is myself. You know, and I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to be with other believers, etc. I'll give you a million dollars. You just tell me that's the best way for me to be spiritually alive. I couldn't do it. Because we need to know the Word. Some of you are saying, you know, some of the biggest spiritual barriers that we put up in our lives is just say, well, I'm not a reader. And I just don't understand this stuff. So I just don't read it. I, I wish I could tell you that you can move forward with God, but you just don't have to pay attention to the Scriptures. can't do that. I can't. Because God uses knowledge of the truth to generate spiritual breakthrough in our lives. And without a knowledge of the truth, that transformation is not going to come. Now, I'm not saying you're going to pick it up and you're going to start reading certain, certain sections of it and you're not going to say, what in the world is he saying? Because I do that all the time. Why do you think they have a week between Sundays? So I got six days to figure out what it's saying, you know? I mean, it's hard. I understand that. But that's not an excuse. It's in the depth of our struggle that we actually learn and God transforms us. And, and, and there is no way 
for you and I to capitalize on the spike that God is trying to create in our spiritual journey through the remembrance of the death and resurrection of his son if we're not willing to pick up the scripture and come to know the truth. There just isn't. So the thought that struck me is, where are we being resistant to change in our lives? Some of you have destructive habits or sins in your life that you know you need to address. But right now, because they're not front and center, they're not the things that are beating you all down, you've just been kind of storing them away. And they are the things that are holding you back in your spiritual development. And God is saying, it's, it's time to deal with those things. Others of you have just been ignoring being engaged with the Word of God and with the spiritual community. And, and you have all kinds of reasons as to why you can't do that. But it's the, it's the way that you're being resistant to God capitalizing on the spiritual momentum of Easter in your life. So what's so precious about our excuses that we wouldn't give them up to have a life that's built on the momentum that will last for all eternity? Let's pray together. God, none of us would be sitting in this room this morning if you hadn't broke through this new revelation of truth to Peter. That as Gentiles, people who live their lives outside of the covenant promise, were part of your plan of redemption. God, none of that would have happened. God, I'm grateful for Peter that he listened, that he learned, and he acted. God, we've listened this morning. I pray we've learned. And now we commit to act. In the name of Christ, amen.